Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a show in which we look at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. In this episode, we hear from the researcher who led the IBM Watson team to its landmark success in defeating human rivals to win the quiz show Jeopardy in 2011. He is now grappling with the problem of how to make a machine that can use language to reason. You know, in all fairness, when the thing starts off, it looks really stupid because it knows very little. But we're training it with a methodology that it can find its way out of that hole. You know, by asking you for information or by looking at other sources to try to connect what it's reading, what it's understanding with what it knows. That was Dave Ferrucci talking about the work of his AI company, Elemental Cognition. He shared some of the findings from his research with my colleague Richard Waters in San Francisco. So when you started Watson, it was before AI became a thing, before everybody started talking about it, it was really the first demonstration that woke everybody up to the fact that something really significant was happening in the field or about to happen. So what was it you saw at the time that made you want to build this thing? And what did it show about you know, what AI could do and also what its limitations were? So I was interested in artificial intelligence for as long as I could remember. And at the time at IBM, we had been working on open domain factoid question answering systems. And it was an area that drew a lot of academic and scientific interest. We had been competing in that space for some time. And the idea was you would get questions you've never seen before, and you just had to figure out what they were asking you and then accurately answer them. And there was an additional twist occasionally, at least the way they would set these competitions up, but sometimes you would have to actually predict the accuracy or the confidence of your own system. So you're going to give an answer, but, you know, were you confident in it or not? So this class of problem had been around for some time, but that field had been languishing. It wasn't making a lot of progress. And when the uh, IBM execs became interested in Jeopardy, they started shopping that problem around all of IBM and no one wanted to take it on. I you know, did a little bit of a study, and obviously I had been working on that for a while, and I thought this is a perfect fit for the type of science that we should be doing in AI. We should be doing better at interpreting language. We should be doing better at using large corporate and pull out answers accurately. We should be doing better at knowing whether or not we even have the right answer to a question. And Jeopardy was sort of a perfect fit for that. And I thought it could be done. And I thought, look, at the very least, IBM Research with its reputation should be trying to crack that nut. So anyway, so I took it on with my team and then built the team from there to ultimately build Watson and win. And I think that was a landmark in AI for a few reasons. One is that no one thought that could be done. The questions themselves were formulated in a way that were certainly not obvious at the time. Everyone was very concerned about the way the language was transformed and made to be entertaining. And very often the questions were not really direct at all. So you had to do something special there. And the domain was very broad. They could ask literally about anything. It was very hard to anticipate exactly what it was going to be about. So you had all these challenges. And also the nice thing about Jeopardy was it tested that confidence notion. Because if you buzzed in and got it wrong, you actually lost dollar value. So you had to get good at predicting whether or not you had a good answer. So all things together made for a really interesting scientific challenge. 
And we did it, and I think you're exactly right. It got the community to scratch their head and say, wow, what else is possible? You know, should we be investing more in AI? I think it coincided with some pretty great advances in machine learning. We used, obviously, machine learning in building the Watson system. So a lot of people got a, a lot more confidence in that and started to think more broadly and more aggressively about both the science and the business of AI. And as you say, you actually did this. The Jeopardy competition was the year before the big breakthroughs in deep learning, that image and that demonstration in deep learning. That's right. It was done before the big breakthroughs in deep learning. So famously, at the end of Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, the human champion, said, well, I bow before our computer overlords or whatever he said. But actually, Watson didn't turn out to be our computer overlord. So what were the limits of that demonstration? And what did it show needed to be done next? Well, I think we were very aware of the limitations. Of course, there's been a lot of hype around it, and that's one of the challenges with AI. You see an AI perform a task, and then you project, and you think, well, if a human could perform that task, the human must be really, really smart and be able to do all these other things. But of course, that's not quite true with AI. And the reality is that Watson and no existing system today really understands language the way humans understand language. So when you look at a machine hearing these clues and answering them, you think, wow, that machine has a similar mental model of how the world works in its head and therefore can read and understand and reason. And the truth of the matter is that's not how it's working. And that's not how these deep learning systems work either. They use statistics and large corpora to find patterns in the language as opposed to build deep logical models of how the world works. And those patterns are very superficial. So it's kind of like a parrot. A parrot hears you say the same thing every day and learns how to repeat it. And even to guess what word or what words might come next doesn't mean the parrot understands anything that you're actually saying or is a similar model of how the world works in its head. Yeah. So after the Jeopardy demonstration, you moved to Bridgewater. Ray Dalio at Bridgewater is not short of ambition and he has a big vision for how companies should be run and also how AI can help companies run. And you went to work with him. His view is, you know, that AI can actually replace many types of human decision making. What is your view about that field right now? You know, how possible is that going to be? And how far off is that kind of long range vision of AI run companies? Yeah, so, I mean, the attraction between me and Bridgewater and ultimately me and Ray Dalio is that we sort of both believe that machines can augment human intelligence. We both believe that machines should ultimately provide not just answers and not just advice and guidance, but they should provide explicable understanding of the decisions that they help us make. So in other words, what Ray Dalio and Bridgewater is very much against is a machine popping out an answer and not being able to explain the logic it used to derive that answer. So while deep learning, machine learning techniques are valuable for generating hypotheses and helping us find patterns in data, decision-making ultimately has to be supported by machines, at least this is our view, Decision-making ultimately has to be supported by rational thought. And we have to insist that machines do that. And I think Ray's vision around AI helping in obviously management and what he's been doing for years in markets is that machines are just really good at a lot of things that humans are not good at, 
but humans ultimately need to be in the loop and the machines should be augmenting their intelligence and ultimately helping them make better decisions by bringing them the data, bringing them the logic, bringing them the rationale and making that explicit. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that's going to happen tomorrow. I think there's a continuous collaboration and refinement of the human machine interface. There has to be a willingness to invest in building that intelligence in those machines. So this is something, this is now strictly my opinion. This feels like, you know, a five to 10 year journey where we get machines to start to play a bigger, bigger role in our decision making and frankly beyond. I mean, this is an iterative process the way I see it. Well, now, so I really wanted to talk about elemental cognition. So while you're working on these big projects, you have your side company where you're drilling down into many of these deep problems and building the technology. And you've been working at this for a while. It seems that you've got to a stage now where you're ready to be a little more open about it. We're talking, which is a good thing. I see you've also brought in some big name investors and advisors, Sam Palmisano from IBM and Jim Breyer. Um, Chris Varela. So tell us a bit more about what you're trying to do with Elemental, because it looks like you're really trying to get down into the real hard problems of computer understanding. Most of my time actually and thought is going into Elemental Cognition these days. And I think that the main problem we're trying to solve is really that language understanding problem. Exactly what I talked about, how Watson and the current crop of deep learning systems are really operating on the surface of language. Elemental cognition is really about, hey, can we figure out how to get machines to read and learn the way humans read and learn? Meaning, as they're acquiring language, they're actually building consumable mental models, logical models of how things work and fit together so that they can consume rapidly. Uh, In other words, they can read huge amounts of material, but they're just not surface reading and text matching and looking for the patterns or the frequencies in which words occur together. Rather, they're actually taking those words, interpreting them, mapping them to logical meaning so that when they give you an answer, they can say, hey, I think this is the answer. This is why I think this is the answer. I have this evidence. I have this background knowledge. And I'm following this chain of reasoning. And I might be missing something, but this is where I am right now in my thinking process. So we want them to respond much more the way that an intelligent human would respond as they're reading and trying to understand that content. That is a very ambitious goal. In some sense, it's the goal that, in my view anyway, that artificial intelligence has had for decades and never quite got there, never quite did it. In fact, still missing it significantly. And elemental cognition is about cracking that nut. In that sense, it's a moonshot. In that process, though, we're getting better at reading, we're getting better at dialoguing, we're getting better at reasoning and representation, and we're building out all those pieces in AI that we think can deliver intermediate applications along the way of ultimately reaching that language understanding. I was going to say, one of the problems you always have when talking about AI is just the language that we're all forced to use, just the word understanding. So whatever machine intelligence ends up being, we all assume it's not going to be human intelligence. It's not going to be fully conscious. And yet, you know, you talk about understanding and meaning and concepts and all these things that are very foundational to human level understanding, the human use of language. How are machines going to be able to do this if they do develop this kind of deeper level of of understanding and grappling with language rather than just being parrots? How are they going to do that? Tell us a bit more about how you think those concepts work at a machine level. 
That's a great question. I think that we do struggle with what it means to understand. I mean, even humans spend an enormous amount of time trying to establish a common understanding about things. And, you know, is it enough of an understanding? Is it a similar understanding? Is it shared well enough that we can have a productive communication about a topic? So part of what elemental cognition does is we start to begin to kind of put very basic stakes in the ground of what we think it even means to understand so that we can be clear about what. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The goal we're going after And as you know, understanding can be at multiple levels, but let's start even at the simplest level. So if you think about how when humans start to read to understand, if you went to a first or second grader and you said, read this story, you'd expect a few things from that shared understanding. You'd expect for them to be able to identify who are the agents in the story? In other words, what were the players? Who did what? What did they do? What events occurred? Who was responsible for what events? Um, you'd be able to say, why did they do the things they did? When did they do them? In other words, draw out the timeline. Where were they relative to one another? Draw out sort of the relative map. Tell me what their motivations were. Tell me what caused what in that story to happen. You'd expect a human to do that in order to validate or convince you that they understand the story even at the most basic level. And you'd expect them to do that you know, within a particular reading difficulty for pretty much any story that you gave them. They might have some questions because they might be missing some information, but having the right questions is another demonstration of understanding and going down the right path. So that's our first level expectation of what it means for a machine to understand. But even to get to that level, your machine has to understand concepts. I mean, high level concepts that machines simply can't understand today, you know, actions and objects and how these things interact. That's exactly right. I mean, this is quite a level to reach. I mean, how, how do you even get to that point? Well, we do. We have layers of representation where we do codify exactly the sorts of things you're talking about. You know, what are actions? What are motivations? What are causes? States? How do things work through time, temporal representations? We have to codify basic stuff that we think of as the raw or fundamental cognitive abilities that humans have. And we Mm. do have a language for encoding that. But clearly, we cannot expect to encode all human knowledge in that form. We have to give it that substrate, and then it needs to learn on its own. It needs to learn through reading, dialoguing, looking at large corpora of content, doing a combination of asking questions, looking at patterns, testing logical theories about that stuff. So we're giving it reasoning engines. We are, of course, using language models and deep learning, but the language models and the deep learning isn't giving you the rich understanding. It's just helping you prune some of the possibilities that you use to start to develop the deeper understanding. 
So it's very much an AI person would look at the elemental cognition architecture and say, this is very much a hybrid approach to language understanding, where we're combining logic, reasoning, representation with deep learning, language models, and other statistical reinforcement learning and other statistical techniques. Now, two of the key words that you're using, one of them is explicable and the other is correctable, you know, a machine that can actually tell you why it did what it did and why it's thinking this way so that you can make your own assumptions about whether you agree with those premises, but then also something that knows when it might be wrong and is open to correction. These are very important concepts. Tell us a bit more about this and why these are hard things to do right now with these very brittle kind of deep learning systems that were all being deployed at scale in the world. They very much aren't explicable or correctable. So why are these difficult concepts and how do you crack them? So the premise of elemental cognition is that the machine is always starting with some model, however simplistic and however narrow or however general of how things work. Just imagine a small kid who knows very little about the world, but knows something. And then as you start to talk to that kid or have them read something, they always interpret it through the perspective that they're starting with and they try to fit it. And they say, wait a second, I only know about soccer. So what's different about what I know is that you're using your hands and you're throwing the ball through the hoop rather than kicking it into a goal. I have questions about this, right? So they try to align their prior understanding to the new information that's coming at them. And they're asking these follow-up questions to try to make sense of it. So the elemental cognition system is always using what it already knows to try to make sense out of new information and where there are gaps and it can't make sense out of it or where things don't align quite conveniently, the system will say, I'm missing something. I can't quite make sense of this. I have missing knowledge, I have inconsistencies, I have differences that I can't explain and you need to help me explain them. And it's through that methodology that the system will acquire new knowledge and ultimately build a more consistent interpretation that it will then use in future readings and in future dialogues. I mean, the question of how a machine knows that it doesn't know is a very difficult one, isn't it? I mean, if there are inconsistencies, then those are things that can suggests that it needs a resolution but you know in all fairness when the thing starts off it looks really stupid because it knows very little but we're training it with a methodology that it can find its way out of that hole you know by asking you for information or by looking at other sources to try to connect what it's reading what it's understanding with what it knows and it just looks really ignorant and sounds really ignorant to the point that it's burdensome to even talk to it. So one of the challenges we have is kind of that chicken and egg problem. How does it initially acquire enough information to keep you engaged so that it can learn to get better and better? And the expectation is that over time, it can acquire more and more information through autonomous reading with less and less burden, less and less questions. Now, now looking at this down the other end of the telescopes, well, through a completely different prism, you talked a little about the current language models, language systems that are like parrots. They analyze language and they just repeat it back. These things are getting pretty sophisticated and quite effective. So Google now has built this extremely large language model it calls BERT that it's now applying to its search engine and claims that, you know, although we won't 
necessarily notice Google search getting that much smarter. Nonetheless, it's going to understand a lot more about our meaning. When we type in five or six words, it'll actually be able to get a sense of what we really mean rather than just picking out one or two keywords from this. So maybe these systems aren't the ultimate answer, but are they going to get us a long way there for the next few years? Depends what you mean by meaning, right? So this is an understanding thing. Um, First of all, I think those models are extremely powerful. And in elemental cognition, we use language models. But we don't expect that language models actually produce understanding and meaning. But what they certainly will help with in search is they can predict the sorts of additional content you might be interested in. Because they look at the patterns that occur repeatedly in these large corpora And they are able to say, hey, if someone is typing in this, then more likely than not, they expect this to follow. Or more likely than not, they expect that they want to read this content because that's the statistical patterns we observe over and over again. This is extremely powerful, and it certainly can be used to help in search. It can be used to help any process that's going to benefit from knowing that in general, when humans say X, they probably are going to say Y, either before or after saying X. And that's exactly why they connected those two things and what the underlying theory is and what their underlying meaning is to allow us to reason over that. That's not being explicitly discovered in that process. It doesn't mean that you could sit down there and start to discuss what any of the articles mean and argue about them and debate you know, whether next the explanations are justifiable or meaningful or what else is possible and why, that's kind of off the table right now, at least for that type of technology, but nonetheless particularly useful. In elemental cognition, when we're trying to actually develop a logical interpretation and understanding of the content, we generate many possibilities of what to ask the user about. We use language models to help us prune those possibilities to keep the dialogue more aligned with what people expect. But that's only 20% of the journey. The interesting part of the journey is, now how do I extract the meaning from that process? So you describe what you're doing as a moonshot, which makes it sound like years or even decades before we get machines with true understanding. What do you think you can achieve in a shorter time when your toddler becomes a little more coherent and can start to be useful? So yeah, there's a number of applications we can help with. As I said, the architecture consists of many different pieces. And I think that there are narrow domains where we can do more than statistical language learning. We could do deeper logical learning, provided that the domain is narrow enough. And we're already sort of demonstrating that sort of thing. Uh, It's still in its infancy, but we think there's opportunities there. And so acquiring knowledge through dialogue, delivering knowledge vis-a-vis language, are both areas where there are sort of many applications from customer relationship management, you know, to healthcare that would benefit from that type of deeper understanding beyond just the surface language stuff. So we think there are opportunities there and we're looking at that. In the meantime, I think what we need to demonstrate from the moonshot perspective is that our approach is effective, that it becomes compelling that the way we're training the machine, the way we're teaching it, that that in fact can scale. If elemental cognition can demonstrate that our hybrid architecture can in fact scale in its ability to autonomously learn and read, we imagine we can acquire a lot more investment and move that time frame up. So that's the big goal right now is to say, look, this approach we're taking, 
this architecture we're taking, this can work and it can scale. Let's invest more to get there sooner. Do you see in this scaling a tipping point? You know, we often think about machines as accumulating knowledge when they're able to read and assume and learn and then absorb everything around them. Then, uh, you know, we assume there's some kind of huge leap coming. I think we imagine that. I think we do imagining a tipping point. I think getting there, there's going to be a lot of, you know, starts and fits to get there. So we have work to do. And there will be setbacks and so forth. But there is an expectation that once the system can read more autonomously, there will be that tipping point. It will be able to acquire a lot of knowledge very rapidly and be able to democratize access to expertise, which is a really, really big deal for society and industry. And frankly, I don't see how as a society we don't desperately try to pursue that. I think it's critical, especially as we produce enormous amounts of information, knowledge is king, and rapid access to it and the ability to understand it better and apply it more effectively will sort of amplify our creativity and help us make better decisions. In my way of looking at the world, there's no choice but to pursue this. How far away is that tipping point? I mean, it's, you know, you've worked at this problem for a while and you've worked at elemental cognition for a while. And it seems that you feel you've reached a, a different point now. You're raising more money, you're talking openly. It feels to me like you feel that something is within reach. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's hard to predict some of these things. There's so many gotchas that can happen and it fits and spurts on this. But, you know, my instinct is that that point that I focus on, which is that point that I could demonstrate that this approach can scale and it's a good approach to realize that vision, feels like it's three to five years away. And that I can sit there in a room with other AI people and I can convince them, look, this looks like it's going to work. We need to invest more in this. What it's going to take from there is harder to predict. Well... That's a tantalizing kind of thought. And I hope we come back and talk about this again before three to five years are up and see how far you've got. Dave, thanks very much for joining us today. You bet. Thank you. Been good to talk. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tectonic. In the meantime, please keep sending in your comments and suggestions. We love to hear from our listeners. So please email us at tectonic at ft.com. And do rate and review us on your chosen podcast app as well, so that other listeners can find us. Tectonic is produced by Fiona Simon.